0: For a very special treat today on this Freedom Weekend, a friend of mine called me several months back and began to share the vision that God laid upon his heart. Um, I I met this man several years ago um, as I was a youth pastor in the state of Arkansas. He came and spoke for Pastor Johnny Hunt and I and Pastor Weston's youth group at a youth retreat that we had. He traveled for eight, I'm sorry, 12 years. As a full-time itinerant evangelist. And just a few years ago planted a church in Arizona. And God used him to grow that church plant into a place where he was able to hand that over. He is today the National Assembly of God World Missions Mobilizer. Say that three times fast. For the Assemblies of God in the U.S., he is our Assembly of God World Missions Mobilizer for the continent of Africa. I won't share any more of his vision with you today. Would you please help me welcome my friend and pastor Jacob Jester. Come share the word with us today.
1: How's everybody? I need you to know something before I get going. Most of you look awesome today. It's uh, like a solid 97%. You look fantastic. Uh, I have such a sarcastic sense of humor. You'll leave, I'll leave, and you'll go, oh, okay. But I'm so happy to be here with uh, Pastor Chris and uh, this great church. I've been following the journey of your church for a number of years and getting ready to see what God is doing and see the life change that he's bringing here to, you- to Eunice in South Louisiana. What a joy and a privilege, and I'm excited to be able to share what the Lord has put on my heart for you today. Before I get into that message, I want to share with you a little bit of my family. This is my family, uh, and there in the middle, uh, this is about a year-old picture, but there in the middle is my son Jude, who, as you can tell, was born with a big head, and there is my my son Cruz, who is uh, almost 10 years old today. Uh, He was born with a big head, and and then that's my daughter Indy, uh, who was born with a perfectly sized head. When she was born, we were very grateful, because if you're a big-headed person, you understand big-headed problems. You know the, the, the struggle of off balance and walking into a room head first and collapsing underneath your own weight. My mom says that my head is the same size today as it was the day that I was born, so I know that the struggle is real. My wife Kristen, we've been married for 16 years, and uh, we are very blessed as a family to, to be able to walk out this call that God has put on our life that I'm going to share with you about here in just a moment. But what I want to do is I want to get into what I believe the Lord has put on my heart so that we can dig deeper into this message with, uh, with the time that I have and be able to speak and declare what I believe God wants to say to us as the church. Uh, if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter number nine? The book of Matthew chapter number nine, chapter number nine, verse number 35, Matthew 9 and 35. Harvest, I want you to say that word with me, His. Understand that the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, but the harvest does not belong to you, the harvest belongs to Him. And God wants to create and see a massive harvest of souls come to know Him, but I want you to recognize what Jesus did there. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send out laborers into His harvest. My job is first and foremost to pray that God would send out laborers. My job as a son of God, your job as a son, as a daughter of God is to pray first and foremost that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. What God wants to do today, what God wants to do this morning, I believe in my heart, is he wants to speak to somebody in this room who's been on the verge of saying yes to God. He wants to encourage you that the best response when God says come, when God says go, is to always say yes to him. There is a power waiting for you on the other side of your response to God, And sometimes if my response to Him does not line up with what I think it should be, I find myself in a wait-and-see situation. My wait and my see rarely takes me to the point where I trust and obey. So when I trust and obey, I find that there really is no other way. To be found in God is to trust Him and to believe in His Word and His promises, which are what? Yes and a man in Christ Jesus. So I learned to trust Him, and I'm excited about what the Lord is getting ready to say. I call this message, The Sheep Need a Shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for the opportunity to be in church this morning here in New Hope in Eunice, Louisiana on this Freedom Weekend. God, we are blessed and highly favored to be men and women born in this great land. Father, to be Americans, Lord, I pray that that You would indeed move upon our, our country God, I pray that you would move in this room right now, that you would speak to the people in this room, that they would begin to recognize where you are taking us. I pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, Let us leave this room knowing that we've been in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. I love Moses, I can't deny it. I love Jesus, I love David, and I love Moses. I love Moses because Moses is a unique character in Scripture. Moses was born in a time of chaos and and truly a time of disruption. There was blood on the land. The Pharaoh in Egypt had declared that every firstborn son of every Hebrew family should be killed, slaughtered, and there was wailing in the streets. So when Moses was born, his mother knew that she wanted to protect him, and she did the only thing she knew to do. She put her baby boy inside of a reed basket, put it in the river, and, and prayed and hoped that his ending would be blessed, protected by God. So the scripture says that one day the Pharaoh's daughter, the the own Pharaoh who had declared that every firstborn Hebrew child should die, found this little Hebrew boy in the river and she took him into her home and he was raised as her child. One day, the Bible says, some years down the road, Moses, in a fit of rage, walks out into a field and sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses snaps in that moment. He kills that man, and for the next 40 years, Moses is running and found himself in exile. We don't know where. We don't know how. We don't know from whom, but it's believed from scholars that somewhere Moses learned about his heritage. Moses learned where he came from. Moses learned that he wasn't just uh, an Egyptian, that Moses probably had been born of a Hebrew woman, that somehow Moses learned about who he was. And when he saw that Egyptian beating that Hebrew slave, he snapped in that fit of rage, and Moses was willing to go into exile to experience the power in that moment of justice. One day Moses saw a bush on fire in the middle of the desert. The scripture says the bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. And Moses, standing in front of this bush, heard the Lord speak to him and say these words. He said, go down to Egypt and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Now Moses knew that these were his people. Moses knew that these were the people that he had come from, the people he was willing to give everything for, to go into exile on behalf of. But instead of saying the word yes, Moses looked at God and said, no. In fact, he said, Lord, send someone else. I need you to understand something about me. I'm not a handyman. And if you're one of those people that can rustle around in the Taco Bell wrappers on the bottom of the floor of your car and find enough screwdrivers and tools to fix my car, I feel sorry for you. I'm not that type of person. I have one screwdriver that came with the TV that I bought 10 years ago. And if it can be fixed with that screwdriver, it can be fixed. If I cannot fix it with that screwdriver, it stays in the box. Fortunately, that TV did come with a screwdriver. Now I have a TV hanging on my wall because I've got a three inch screwdriver. I'm not a handyman, but my wife said, Jacob, I want to buy a house with character. You know what that means? It means an old house. She's like, Jacob, I want to buy an old house that I can fix up and I can make my own. I don't care if it's new. I want it to be old. So I got an old house that has old house problems. I felt like parts of it had just fallen apart for no particular reason. One day I walked into the kitchen. I made too much vibration and cabinet doors fell off. Now, remember, I'd have one screwdriver. Fortunately, I was able to put that cabinet door back on because that three-inch screwdriver came to save my life. I have a metallic tube that comes up out of the floor of my kitchen. I don't know where it came from. I do not know where it goes. Old house problems. Found cracks in my foundation. I got old house problems. One day I was in the garage, and I looked up, and I saw a crack in the ceiling of my garage, and I knew right then and there that I need people to help me because I can't do this stuff on my own. My wife says, maybe there's some retired people in this area that will be willing to help a missionary out, help him come fix some problems in his house. And I begin to pray right then and there, Lord, you know my struggle. You know my issue. You know that I am am not made to be a handyman. Jesus, my dad, God bless him, has all the skills of the handyman, and he will not pass them down to me. So, Lord, I, I pray you will find somebody to help me. So I got old house problems. I've learned along the way in my life that if I'm going to do anything significant, whether it be in my own home or whether in ministry, I've got to learn that there are people who were made to partner with me and there were people who might want to partner with me. Sometimes I want to partner with the people who want to partner with me. And sometimes I recognize that I was made to partner with the people who God has positioned in my life. But the struggle we have often as humanity is we partner with the wrong people ultimately to achieve a goal that God had nothing to do with. We partner with the wrong people. Understand that the journey God has for you is going to be successful or it's going to fail based on the people and the person that you choose to partner in life with. All the way from the spouse to the God of heaven and earth that you choose to understand may call you to do uncomfortable things in the middle of chaos, but it's because he calls you in the middle of chaos that will create in you the endurance to walk through the struggle that ultimately will be placed at some point in front of you. See, the thing that we have inside of our lives as men and women of God is we want to constantly live on mountaintops. I want to experience the grace of God, the glory of God. I never want to get upset. I never want to be mad. I want everything that I want because I want to stay on the top of the mountain. But you will never become filled with the character of God on the top of the mountain. You will be built to have the character of God by walking through the bottom of the valley. You were meant from time to time to sit on a valley floor because that's where God grows you. He doesn't grow you on mountaintops. He grows you on valley bottoms. But you don't get to mountaintops without partnering with God to get there. So I've recognized in my life to partner with God means to experience His favor and to experience His hand. And if I want to go the long distance, I've got to partner with God to get me there. The Scripture says this, and I want to take you a little further down the road. The Scripture says this in the book of Luke. It says, and John the Baptist went into all the regions around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance. We know that John the Baptist was made to prepare the way of the Lord. So this was a statement about John the Baptist, this great prophet who was going to prepare the way of the Lord. This is what the scripture says about John the Baptist. He said, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Look at verse number three. It says, and he went into all the regions around the Jordan doing two things proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, he went and he preached. I want to talk to some people for just a moment that recognize and know that you have been sent. You know that God has put something in your heart that means that you've been sent by him to do things that might put you in moments of being uncomfortable. And in those moments, you're required by God to do a few things. You're required by God to remind people that Jesus is a healer. You're required by God to remind people that Jesus can restore your marriage, that he can bring your son or your daughter into relationship with God. You are required by God to preach that God can give wisdom for your business. Remember, some of you are going to join me on the continent of Africa, and you're going to do things for God there you never thought you could do. Some of you are called overseas, but remember, all of you are called next door. Some of you are called to do things that require you to go far, and some of you are required by God to do things that place you right where you are. Do not focus so much on going that you forget that you're called to go next door as well. God can use you in spectacular ways if you're willing to get uncomfortable to go to your neighbor, to go to the person who uses the cubicle next to you. Sometimes it's the most difficult thing to do to get out of your comfort zone and take three steps to the left. But God is saying to you in that moment, go. See, I've been going since I was born. When I was born, my dad was the pastor of a small church in the southern part of the state of Arkansas, a town of about 400 people. And I remember when my dad and my mom came to me and they said, we're going to go to Africa as missionaries. And I was, I was shocked because I had a test next week. And I thought, man, I'm going to miss that test. I'm going to miss that test. I was excited for a moment that I was going to be able to go overseas, and then my mom and my dad went on a season of fundraising, and eventually we got there, and life was flipped upside down. I was 18 when I felt like God called me to go for the very first time. I went to Central Bible College where I met my wife in in Springfield, Missouri, and she'll tell you the story now that she was first attracted to me, number one, because of my amazing hair, and number two, because I was a missionary kid. She had been called to missions, but God had other plans. And for 12 years, we traveled the country as evangelists, and then we, and then we planted a church. And so in 2013, I felt the Lord say to me, go again. And so for the love of a city, for the love of the desert, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, where we planted the church called Capel. And over the next few years, we saw the spirit and the power of God moving in a mighty way. In that, And that church grew. And we saw the greatness of God flourish in our city. And then about one year ago, we felt the Lord say, go again. I've grown tired of... Of moving, I've grown tired of being uncomfortable, but I've also learned that I'm at my best when I'm fully reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit, when I'm trusting God in those seasons that make me question every next step. See, some of us in this room, you're asking for God to give you the entirety of the journey, and God has never promised to give you the entirety of the journey laid out in front of you. The scripture says that he will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. In other words, he will tell you where to go next. And some of you in this room are waiting for God to say what's five years down the road before you're even willing to take the next step. Sometimes God won't tell you where you're going next until you're willing to get out of your comfort zone to simply take the next step forward. So here I was saying to my children, we're leaving everything, friends, family, and the only church that we've ever known, and we're leaving that all for the sake of the continent of Africa. And. I wish I could tell you that my boys smiled and said yes, but they cried and they said no. But we're often like children, aren't we? We tell God no more than we tell God yes. See, when I tell God no, I say to Him that my my preference is more important than His power. See, when I say to God, no, it's not about my preference, it's ultimately about my pride. With every no, I tell God that my own ability is greater than his strength to get me there. I say to him that even in my weakness, I cannot fully embrace the idea that God can be strength in my weakness. But that's the greatness of God, is that he's promised to be your strength even while you are weak. How many of us in this room, if it were not for God, would be in a completely different place in life? But for the grace of God, we are now in a place where we rely on him because his, his grace is made perfect in my weakness. His strength is made perfect when I am no longer able to carry it out on my own. He takes me to places where I flourish because he has called me there. And if God calls me there, he will take me on the journey to get me there through the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Remember his promise. His promise is always his provision. If he promises it to you, he'll provide to get you there. That deserved a clap too, I thought. (laughs) I felt like that was better than the last one. I'll encourage you where to come in. I'll just do this. Hold up. That's what I used to do at church. See, God will take your timidity and he will turn it into a tenacity. That's the power of God. The thing that makes you timid now will be the thing that later makes you full of tenacity. He will cause you to fall in love with the business of God. And the business of God, in case we need a reminder, has always been the rescue of lost sons and daughters. So a year ago, I finally said to God, yes. I finally said to God, "Let's, let's go. But before we could ever set foot on the African continent, we had to move to Springfield, Missouri, which is something entirely different. My job is unique in that we are asked, asked to, for the 48 countries of Africa that we do ministry in as the Assemblies of God, I'm asked to find and to believe God that he's going to send people to send laborers into the harvest field. We have 23 countries in Africa right now that have no Assemblies of God missionary and the same number of missionaries we did there that we did in 1964, which means that there are villages, that there are megacities, and there are countries that right now are experiencing a vast emptiness because somebody somewhere along the way has either said no or has said to God, not yet. So we're waiting for God to say to someone, follow me, and we're waiting for that person to say yes. Yes. Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. That word there when Jesus said pray that he would send is a word that in the Greek means ekbalo. It's a forceful word. It's a powerful word. It's a strong word that means to compel and to drive. In other words, God is going to breathe on somebody in this room and there will be someone in this room that says, Lord, I feel compelled to step out of everything that I know to embrace what I don't understand to finally be in the will of God to do something unique for the sake of the gospel. God will breathe life and he will send people in this room that will be church planters. God will breathe life and he will send people in this room that will be a part of church planting teams who will build Bible colleges who will use your skill or your talent and your ability to further the gospel on the continent of Africa but we're looking for somebody that will first respond with yes yes remember Moses as someone comes to the keyboard so I can have manipulation music serious I remember Moses standing in front of the burning bush. (laughs) Yeah, if you've never been to church here before, I apologize. It's just not at all like Pastor Chris. I remember Moses standing in front of that bush. The Lord said to him, go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, Lord, find someone else. He he said, Lord? Lord? No. See, the definition for the word Lord is master, chief, chieftain, everything. Moses, who had wandered in the desert for 40 years, looked at the Lord and said, Master, no. It was literally like he was like, Nuh uh, nope. I love you, but find someone else. Can't be me. But instead, God asked again he said go to Pharaoh say to Pharaoh let my people go I first met KK when she was 18 years old young and impressionable as I got to know her a little bit I found out that she had a very unique life growing up her mom and her dad had had a baby when she was just around 10 years old and her mom and her dad would go out and and they would party on the weekends and her dad was addicted to gambling and he would go out and he would leave them at home by themselves and she grew up in the Midwest and there were times that tornadoes would come through the the city that they lived and the, the sirens the creepiest sound you've ever heard would go off in the distance and she would hold her baby brother and she would whisper into his ear it's gonna be okay And on the inside, she was shaking because she didn't believe that herself. As she grew up, when she was 12 years old, she was invited to go to the church for the very first time. She was the van kid. The church bus would pull up alongside her house and she would get out and she would go to church with people and she was quiet and she was shy and she didn't speak very much and so people didn't really get to know her very quickly and so there was a shift in her life but she gave her life to Jesus and things changed, things completely flipped upside down for her when she was only 12 years old. And it was then that she started asking her mom and her dad to go to church with her and and every Sunday they would say the same thing, we're busy. 16 years old. She knew that she was called to missions. She wanted to be a part of helping someone who was called to missions as well. So she talked to her youth pastor and she said, How can I help? And he said, Well, you can give to Speed the Light. Speed the Light's our ministry of giving essential transportation and communication tools to missionaries overseas. And so in one summer, she mowed the church parking lot, the church uh, lawn. And over the course of one summer by herself, she gave $10,000 to missions on her own because she wanted to help before she could help. She wanted to breathe on it before she could ever touch it. There's something right there. There's somebody in this room that you have wanted to touch it, examine it, try to figure out if it's for you first. And you've not invested in it at all up until this point. You can sense it and you can feel it. I can't say what it is, but there's something in the room. There's somebody in the house that you you know that God's called you to something, but you want to be able to test the waters first. You want to be able to test it out. And I believe that God is saying to you right now, if you want to test it, then invest in me. Inve- not me, invest in relationship with God. Invest in what he's calling you to. Invest in who God is in your life. And perhaps then you will begin to realize that God is asking you for something special. And so here was here was KK. She'd given $10,000 to speed the light. And, and at the age of 17, she went on her very first missions trip to Guatemala. And there she was. There she was on the very last night. She laid her hands on some young lady at an altar, and and as soon as she did, God spoke to her and said, when you go home, your mom and your dad are going to serve me. She's 16 years old, 17. She had never seen her mother and her father darken the doorway of a church, and she was excited. She got home. She pulled out that big family Bible. She went into her dad's room, and she laid it in front of him, and she said, Dad, the Lord told me that you're going to serve him. He picked up that Bible and he said, Every word in this book is a lie. And he threw it across the room. And that night she cried herself to sleep. And then on Sunday she said, Dad, come to church. And every Sunday he said, I'm busy. She never stopped asking, she continued to ask. On the one Sunday at Christmas time, one Sunday at Christmas time, she said, Dad, could you come? it's Christmas, come with with me, let's go to church together. And her dad said once again, he said, I'm busy, and so she went to church by herself, and she sat on the front row all alone by herself. And when the pastor preached his Christmas message and asked if there was anybody in the room who wanted to come into relationship with Jesus, and he said, come on, I want to see your hand. Who who in the room would lift your hand? And and every head was bowed, and every eye was closed, But, but K.K. opened one eye. She looked around. And there in the back of the room, she saw her dad whose hand was stretched to the Lord like this. And that day, he was the only person who gave his life to Jesus. And I've heard all these stories about how Mike was angry and Mike was mad and Mike would hit and Mike would yell. But in the 18 years that I've known K.K., in the 16 years we've been married, I've never seen him become angry simply because of the power of God to bring life change. Imagine if K.K., through all of the obstacles, imagine if my wife, through all of the obstacles, would have eventually turned away from God and said, there's no way I can keep pressing on. There's no way I can say, yes, God, can't you see my mom and my dad do not Jesus? Can't you see there's no way? Can't you see that, that my home isn't the way it should be? Imagine if every obstacle that came into our path was the reason we said no to God. Or or perhaps every obstacle that God puts in your life is further reason for you to trust that the plan of God is not The plan of God does not fault because there's a wall. Sometimes God allows you to go through the wall. Other times God says, I will knock the wall down on your behalf so that you can experience the grace and the mercy of a strong and a powerful God. When you learn to say yes, God makes a way. Just like Moses, when Moses said yes. 2 million people walked into freedom because Moses finally said yes. What will your yes mean to God? What will your yes be for your family? What will your yes be for your neighbor? What could your yes be for the country of Chad, for the country of Namibia, for the country of Kenya, for the country of Senegal, for the city of Dakar that is looking for churches, what could your yes mean? On the other side of your yes, there is freedom for somebody who's been waiting for you to say yes. God wants to move for just a moment. I'm Just gonna take a moment and I'm gonna pray and I want you in your heart I want you to say, God, okay, for some of you, yes is a big word. And for some of you, you're scared to death because you think that you're going to have to walk out this door right now and jump on a plane and get to Africa and be like, now what? No, I'm simply asking you to say yes, and then what God does with that is up to him. What God does with the next moment is not up to you. It's entirely up to him. So if you could just say, okay, God, I trust you. sing the song that says you can take it all i am yours the most important thing you can say to god is i am yours and every word from here on is yes spirit of god i pray in the name of jesus that you begin to move here for a moment have your way jesus speak your life speak encouragement speak the word of god Father I bless you I bless you I bless you I bless you in, in Jesus name in in Jesus name encourage encourage now look up at me for just a moment as I'm, as I'm literally walking off I promise your next step is to go to a website called I want to I want to be a missionary.com I want to be a missionary.com we'll enter into a relationship with you we'll send you information. Maybe you want to know more about what we do as the mobilizers and believing God will send us 400 missionaries to Africa. Go to africacause.org. There's more vision there. There's an opportunity for you to partner with us in prayer and financially to believe that we can see this dream become a reality. I bless you. You guys are amazing. You've been incredible. Pastor Chris and this entire church are phenomenal. God has great things for you. I promise you. Amen.
0: Just leave that. Just leave that. Hey, let's do this before we gather our things before we go. Would you just bow your head, close your eyes with me one more time? Just one more time. Not going to keep you long in Jesus' name. I just want to give God an opportunity to speak to you, and, and you have an opportunity to admit, to confess, to obey right now. Right now. If God has laid on your heart a burden, for missions. Let God speak to you. If God has laid on your heart a burden for the gospel being taken to people that have never heard before, for pastors being equipped and led and sent to people that do not have one, churches being built, for people to come together in Jesus' name, If that is on your heart, if right now the Holy Spirit is stirring in you and you have a burden for that with nobody looking around, just you and Jesus, I want you to just lift your hand as a sign of obedience, as an act of obedience between you and God. That's me. That's me. If you're in the room right now and you're just not in right relationship with Jesus, it's a separate call. But it is eternally important. If you're not confident of who you are in Christ, if you just don't know, God doesn't want you to walk through life wondering. He wants you to walk through life following. And right now, you can confess him as Lord. You can commit or recommit your life to him. You can walk out of here confident in your confession of Jesus as Lord of your life. If I'm talking to you right now, nobody looking around, I wanna invite you just to lift your hand right where you are. That's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Thank you, I see you. That's me, I see you. Thank you, I see you. That's me. You and Jesus, come on, if you raise your hand, just begin to pray and ask God to forgive you where you've fallen short. Just ask him, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. Where I've sinned, where I've been distracted, where I've been disobedient. Where I've said one thing and done another, or you've told me to do something and I just didn't do it. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I believe you died on the cross and you were raised from the dead and you gave your life so that I could live. God, take my life. Take my life. I surrender. I surrender all to you, just as we sang earlier, here I am, use me, in Jesus' name.